Welcome to Lydia Finette's Claim Your Confidence, a podcast that will introduce you to the most powerful women in the world as they talk about their own confidence journey. No matter what obstacles you face, Claim Your Confidence will inspire you, motivate you, and give you a roadmap to live the life you want. So, are you ready to claim your confidence? Welcome to Claim Your Confidence. I can see you hopping on. We are going to dive in to this amazing Instagram Live with Mary Giuliani on Claim Your Confidence. Now, this is a live call-in show. What we want you to be doing right now is thinking about calling Calling in to Claim Your Confidence, 917-410-1507. It is all happening. It's all happening. All right. So, we are here today to talk about how to lose friends and influence no one, which is Mary Giuliani's third book, third book, I would like for you to know. And not only is it the most amazing book ever, it's such a fun, it's just such a fun read. And that's the best part about it. And I know that I compare you to David Sedaris all the time. Continue to. That's a great comparison. But it's such, it's so true. You have such a lighthearted wit. You have such great humor. And I want to know, as we dive into this podcast, Joe's going to figure everything out in terms of our podcast, live show, call in. We're winging it. And I want to know, just starting off, yes. start me off. Where did you get this incredible title? Oh my How gosh. to Lose Friends and Influence No One. Well, first of all, I love you, and I'm so happy to be here, and you are a friend that I don't want to lose. It's funny. This title came out, and I had a lot of people be like, wait, is this like, are you going to drop friends like flies? And I'm like, <laughs> you'll have to read it to see. No. Um, your friendship, as you know, is my one of my greatest joys and blessings and treasures of my life, and probably a reason that I wrote this third book, because you give me that lift. Where did I get this title? Um, growing up, a devout practicing Catholic which I still am, um, but also um, a, my parents were disciples of Dale Carnegie's How to Lose, How to How to Win Friends and Influence People. Different. That's a different book. Different book. This is how to lose friends. This is how to lose friends and, and influence, influence no, no one. one. And during COVID, when we got sent to our rooms, which is what I call the universal, like we all got sent to our rooms to basically figure out, like, okay, now you know how'd you do it before, and if you get the privilege to reemerge aka survive this and go back into the world, what are you going to leave behind and what are you going to take that in this next life will serve you better than what was serving you before? Mm -hmm. And I started to think about why I was such a people pleaser Yeah, and why I spend so much of my life. I mean, look at my career. It's the ultimate people pleasing career, you know, put others joy. Do you need to do something? No, I was going to say, it's so funny (laughs) because when you talk about people pleasing, like you really do have this incredible ability to want everyone to love you. That is the truth. Like I've known this for your entire, like our entire friendship. I've certainly seen this. Like you really are such a people pleaser in the most wonderful way. And people adore you as a result of that, which is kind of a mixed blessing. It is exactly. And my connection is truly genuine. Like I want to know everybody. That was one of the things about COVID that killed me was like the non-interaction with strangers. And I love connecting with people, but when you're connecting on such a level that your happiness is put aside, in some ways that you have to sort of just say, okay, like, well, how could I take the best parts of me, but also self-preserve and also say like, when enough is enough and, you know, put up boundaries. And so, so during COVID, I realized like all those things and I was going to change some of my behaviors. And, um, and these behaviors led to things like 
you know, illness like like endometriosis, which was stress-related illness that I've suffered from for years. It it resulted in, you know, things I just wanted to change. Yeah. Um, and so, um, but I had to approach it with, you know, a toughness, but also with a humor lens because humor has always been my coping mechanism. Um, so it's a collection of, of things that um, are joyful, insightful, um, hopefully it'll make you laugh, make you cry. And this um, is your third book. Yeah. So start, talk to me a little bit about the confidence journey of you write your first book. And I can say this having written two books. I know what it's like, this evolution of you write the first book, is anyone going to care? Right. You write the second book, is anyone going to care? You write the third book, people clearly care. And they're coming back to read this book. What is it taken for you to sit down three times and tell these stories, and honestly, each time with more depth and more self-reflection? What is that like for you as an individual? I think it's literally stepping into your confidence. It's like, you know, when you, I think with the first time you get a book deal, you have that you have that feeling that everyone has like, oh my God, they want me. Like, oh really? Yeah. Like me? And so you do everything to please the publisher. You do everything to get to please everyone else. Yeah. And I look back at my first book, which I love. It was a cookbook. and um, But all I did was want to write these stories. Yeah. Um, I, I loved, I mean, I love The Cocktail Party. I loved that book. But it wasn't the most authentic version of me. And then with Tiny Hot Dogs. But tell everyone why, because I think that's also interesting. Because I, was, I felt I was playing a role. Mm-hmm. I was playing a role of like, I was a caterer and it's a logical conclusion that I throw great parties at my home and I'm, a, I'm an excellent cook and <laughs> I'm not an excellent cook. I actually, you know, and what I love about the cookbook is it's all simple recipes, yeah. all things I knew how to make. Yeah. Um, and for me, entertaining was even less about the food. It was more about the storytelling and the bringing people together through the moment. And that's why I love my business so much. That's why I love the catering business. It, truthfully, it has it is about the food, but it's also about the food storytelling that we're telling. How do you take someone's brand? How do you take someone's um, occasion they want to celebrate and tell their food and beverage story through the experience? So my business is creative escapism. It's... it's um, it's you know turning your reality upside down. It's taking someplace, someone someplace else. Um, and writing these stories was basically my my self preservation in, in the sense that night after night, as we know, as you know more than me, we you know we put on the dress, we go out, we do you know I do the parties, you get up on the stage and you do the auction, and you're around so many people all the time. For me, writing was just me alone in an environment that I created. Um, I have a funny story in this book called Look at Me, I'm Writing, Yeah, <laughs> where it was almost for me at a certain point, like I, w- I would have had six books come out by now. <laughs> you didn't take so it many would, pictures. It didn't take of so many setting. pictures of, of me course. setting up where I was writing yeah. or like planning a day, like I'm going to drive up to Sneedon's Landing in the Palisades and get a little cottage. I, first and foremost, I completely agree. I think that's the world of Instagram. We have a question. When you wrote the chapter called Send in the Clowns, you talk a lot about very difficult topics. Yes. Is it hard for you? I'm reading this as Joe is writing. Is, yeah. is it hard for you to put yourself out there in such a public way? Are you scared or fearful during that time? Uh, absolutely terrifyingly frightened. And I still am. Um, I said, this book feels like I took all my clothes off and asked everybody to look at me. Yeah. Um, and why, why did I do that? I think it was that the more truthful I could be, the more, and, and me coming into my own truth while writing these things, the more I could potentially help someone. Because yeah. at the end of the day, for me, 
it's, it, as you know, <laughs> I didn't put makeup on today. It's not so much about the vanity of all of this. It's the connection. Yeah. And I loved from Tiny Hot Dogs that women in the endometriosis community read one line that resonated with them that asked, you know, made them look to find a new doctor. Or I loved when I talked about in the last book, working with my husband, um, how, you know, hard that was and how, and in this Send in the Clowns essay, um, I really go deep and I, I started writing it. I spent the summer back at my grandmother's hotel. My grandmother, grandfather, as you know, um, we're in the hotel business together. I, as a young girl, spent my summers watching my grandmother run this hotel empire, if you call it. I mean, it was six oceanfront acres in Montauk and, and I was the exact same age as my daughter is now. Mm-hmm. And we went back for last summer and just, I was looking up at her house. We're staying in this little cottage and their story, which I always, I would listen to the radio. My parents got divorced. My grandparents got divorced, not my parents. My parents are happily married for 56 oh my God, years. Nancy and Rob Nancy would and Rob absolutely are, kill you. They would, they're not God, no, right now. They're not. They're, 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 thankfully, they're, hopefully they're not going to read this book either. But um, um, my grandmother and grandfather worked together. And as a result, it didn't work for them. And dreams could be shared. One wanted more. One wanted less at different times. They And when I used to listen to Send in the Clowns, that's how I always thought of their marriage. Um, one who keeps spinning around, one who can't move. It's tragic. It's sad. I used to cry. In my, a couple years ago, I'm driving upstate um, during a not so great time in my life and my marriage. And this comes on the radio. And for the first time I was like, whoa, I'm not thinking about my grandparents anymore. I'm thinking about me and my marriage and my relationship. And I made that decision in that car ride really. And then just with help from friends and people and my husband being open to us really communicating honestly, um, I made the decision. I did not want to be a cautionary tale that our grandchildren walking through all the things we achieved and our dreams would someday say, you know, look at what all they did, but it ultimately destroyed them. Yeah. Yeah. I needed to understand. And I think it's about this balance of male and female in marriages, which is, which is off kilter today. Or, or and I'm not even saying that in a negative way, negative way, but it does affect things. Yeah. And um, for me, it certainly did. And I'm grateful to be on the other side. And I end the story by saying like, well, what if that door, you know, it's, it's from the song, the one that you keep, you know, is the person you've been with the whole time. Yeah. And if you could meet each other at that and get through the stuff, I mean, we got through infertility, we got through marriage dynamic struggles, we got through failures in business, um, you know, almost lost both of our businesses twice. Like if you could weather those things, there, there, there's some stuff that grows really strong in that. Um, yeah, so. I completely agree. And I do think it's so helpful for other people to hear that about marriages. I talk a lot on this podcast about Instagram and social media and this sort of perfection that we see, this glossy perfection. And, you know, I certainly ascribe to that. I do it all the time. So I'm not saying this from a, a place where I'm telling every dirty secret of my life on Instagram every day. But I do think it is so good when you see somebody who's honest about what it takes, especially in this world where as you said, things are off kilter in the way that we were taught as young children, or at least both of us coming from what we considered traditional marriages, parents mm-hmm. together, living in a, in a family unit like that. And then as we develop as women with our own dreams and our own paths and journeys, 
Is that okay? Does that feel okay? And those are questions you're asking your entire life. I mean, we certainly have been friends since our early 20s. Yep. And I remember even then we were talking about these things. We're both big dreamers. Yep. Uh, really big dreamers. Right. You know, you guys have no idea what Mary and I think we're doing over the course of our lives, but we have big things coming. <laughs> big things. Don't worry. <laughs> and, you know, one interesting part of that I've always felt is that not everybody understands that. And people love to tell you what you can't do right. and what you shouldn't do. Right. And this happened to me. I came in from Austin, Texas last night on a flight. I was there for less than a day. I got home at 12. I, I landed at basically 12 o'clock last night and was in the cab on the way home. And the gentleman said to me as I got into the cab, he said, oh, what are you going home? And I said, well, I need to get a little bit of sleep because I've got to take the kids to school in the morning. And he said, oh, you have kids and you travel? And wow. I realized, I mean, that is one of six trillion conversations I've had yeah. for everyone from a seatmate who asks that question to someone in the car. And I said to him, do you have children? And he said, yes, I have five. And I'm sitting there thinking, <laughs> isn't it funny that like, like you, but you, you, I didn't ask you about wow. the fact that you're driving a cab at 1230, one o'clock in the morning. Like right. this is work. We work for what we want in our lives. We pursue our passions Correct. and our dreams. And at times things fall by the wayside. And right. I think you've always been so honest with your friends about what that looked like in your life as you've pursued this passion for, you know, catering, but also entertainment and acting. And we'll get to that in a little <laughs> bit later too. Um, so thank you for that, because I do believe, especially in that chapter, you are so raw and it's a fantastic chapter. And I hope anybody who's you know, in any point in their marriage or even just in a relationship who is going through a tough time can read that and understand that those times pass. Yeah. You get through them. And as you said, that's maybe where the good stuff it's comes. It's where the good stuff, I think, happens. And listen, if you're in a marriage that's just not working, I don't say stick around, you know. Yes, but, that's another thing. But um, I do think that you can, you know, develop some really thick glue once you, you weather these storms. Yeah. And I'm very grateful for to my husband. I'm grateful to my—I mean— I'm grateful to my husband. A lot of my career was based on him just believing in me. Yeah. Um, and it was my turn to believe in him back. And that's a whole other thing. So, so yes, it's terrifying because I did. I, I, I finished this and I do what I do uh, more so than even last time I, I, I called my, my editor and, and publisher. And I want to talk to you about how I published this too, because that's a really cool story. Yeah. Um, but, um, and I said, let's not do this. Like, it's way too much. Like I talk about, you know, Am I related to Rudy Giuliani or not? Am I like, I just go there with all the things that were just weighing me down. Yeah. And so I hope it does come off as I'm just trying to connect and be honest. Yeah, there's freedom um, and release in losing friends and influencing no one, which is what yes, we're talking yes. about today on Claim Your Confidence. Feel free to put things on Instagram. Perfect. Um, we can also have Joe just do what he's doing, which is scribing from <laughs> as our podcast studio host and producer. Um, so the next question to you is the Food Network hates me. Oh, yes. Uh, someone basically just said to sum up the question. Do you ever worry writing something like that about the Food Network that you will never be on TV again? No, you I don't. It. I don't because nothing about that story I feel is wrong. It was also secondary knowledge. The Food Network could love me. I have no idea. But tell us the story. Okay, it's so such a good basically story. Basically, I'm sitting and and again, like, uh, like every person who works in food at a time, especially I was living on near Chelsea Market. It's up. It's food Network is upstairs. We came up during the rise of the Food Network. So yeah. that was like Mecca. That yes. was like if, if the Food Network sends you like a puff of Vatican smoke, like you and you've made it and you get to go upstairs and <laughs> cook up there or have a show or so. I was very fortunate to have a couple meetings with them. Um, and I pitched Probably terrible ideas because nothing ever came of it. But, you know, they were always lovely to me. That's why they and then a pitch. one Just night pitching. I start the story by saying that I got a... Uh, I was sitting with dinner with my friend and he'd just come from... He's a producer and he just came from a meeting at the Food Network. And he's like, 
it just was so out of nowhere. He's like, gosh, the Food Network hates you. And I was like, <laughs> hates me? I was like, hates me? Why? And it was so, and no one hates you. That's the reason why everyone like, loves I mean, you too much. No, I think. but I was like, but, 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 but did I do something? What, what? And he's like, I don't know. He's like, I just brought up your name for a show they were pitching <laughs> that you would have been a great fit. And emphatic hands went up and they were like, no. And it was like... And I sat there and I was like, okay, cool. And then I was like eating my chicken Parmesan and I was like broken. I was like, <laughs> but why could they hate me? And I'm going through all these things. I do not know for a fact. The Food Network, in all fairness, gave me a shot. I, I shot like 20 online videos for them pre-pandemic. C- clearly the cloud, crowds did not go wild because I did not get a show from it. But what I turned around in this story is it had nothing to do with the Food Network. I didn't know who I was either. So yeah. I think going in at that time and had I, I remember pitching them a Woodstock party bar, barn show idea. And I don't even think there was food involved in my pitch. I was like, I'll just make lots of drinks and I'll wear heels and I'll dance and I'll entertain people. I'm and actually like, surprised that they didn't enjoy that. That feels like a Bravo TV show to me. No <laughs> like, food, all drinks and a party barn well, in Amy Woodstock. Amy Sedaris ended up doing an incredible <laughs> version of that show. And then I just threw up my hands and I was like, all right, that's done. Um, I love the food work very much. I don't think I'm, um, I still, I'm still pining for them to call me is, is my point. But no, I'm not scared by that one. I don't know. Maybe I should be. I don't think you should be at all. I mean, you have been on Rachel Ray like, what, 17, 18 times at this point. Times. So I think that you're fine. I think you're fine. So I'd love to hear a little bit more from you about one chapter in particular, because having known you for so long, I will say you have this uncanny ability to find yourself smoking with celebrities. Oh, yes. Now, I will tell Mary every single day that smoking is bad for her. She knows this. She does not do it a lot. Do the not. only time she ever smokes a cigarette is with a celebrity. So can <laughs> yes. you tell us one amazing smoking with celebrity yeah. story? Yes, I can. So, But I have to go back for a second just to tell you that I used to think these were like divine meetings. And really, all it was was really simple math. Mary, right place, right time outside the catering kitchen, which where plus celebrities that smoke, they hide behind the catering kitchen. I had all these divine, you know, moments. It wasn't the food that I was connecting with them. It was over a cigarette. And if you're lucky too, um, three, you're like, you're in, um, (laughs) three, three, you're going to the bar with them afterwards. So, um, I, I've been very fortunate to smoke with a lot of people, but also I had to come to the terms that uh, my cigarette pack should contain, yes, the Surgeon General's warning, but also these are not your friends. Just because you smoke a cigarette with them <laughs> they doesn't don't, they, mean they're not the Godfather. you're going to Cabo yeah. with them next yeah. week. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I talk about that. But um, one of my um, best smoking moments, um, and again, I do not smoke at all in the frequency that I used to, and I do not um, think anyone should. It's a no, horrible, it's terrible, 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 terrible habit. Um, but I did get to smoke with the mothership of all smokers, which was Fran Leibowitz. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a story um, in the book about that night and how magical that was. But you're going to have to read the book to um, to, to hear that, that story. story. Yep. But it is uncanny. You do have this amazing ability to intersect with some of the world's biggest celebrities, whether or not smoking a cigarette, just yeah. Randomly, I don't even know what it is. We've had we've had conversations where Mary called me one day and was like, "I had lunch with Robert De Niro today," <laughs> and that's not a call you get every single day. But he's another one who seems I, to always cross through your path and actually is a friend of yours now. Over time, I, he's become friendly with you. I think it's I think it's New York first and foremost. Yeah. I mean, we get to live in the greatest city in the world and the proximity of where we are and our businesses and how we do it. But I also think it's the openness to it um, that I 
like you, I, I, I would say I'm I'm Naven Johnson in the film The Jerk, um, Steve Martin's <laughs> character, who just approaches life with this delusional optimism yeah. where I walk into a room and I'm like, oh my God, of course, like, you know, De Niro's going to take me to lunch. And sometimes it happens. <laughs> um, but I also, uh, yeah, so, but I it's, love it. it's fun. It's been fun. So there's always been this acting thread yes. through your entire life. Yes. We could start with when you were working for a casting company and submitted your own um, headshot. Headshot for the role of Meadow Soprano, okay. even though you were not represented by him at nope. the time. Nope. Um, I believe Very you- illegal to do, by the way. <laughs> if you work for a management company that reps real people like, I don't know, like Amy Poehler and Tina Fey, <laughs> you do not, as an assistant at 22 years old, take your homemade headshot, stick it into the submission pile with these other Tina Fey and Amy Poehler, <laughs> or like, because um, that will not uh, go off well. And it didn't. Um, so Sometimes you will lose your job. You will lose your job. And uh, I think I think the only reason, yeah, no, they did fire me. Did they fire me because of that? I think they fired me because I was a terrible assistant. And that was like the icing on the cake. But um, I took a shot. And to this day, I still think I would have made an excellent excellent meadow soprano and it's really funny talk about willing yourself or being i have since become very good friends with sheila jaffe the casting director that at 22 i illegally submitted my headshot she 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 (laughs) was the casting director for the sopranos i love it and she's my dear friend speaking of dears i met her through michael lang who i have a beautiful i think it is um a story about him in this book called tear of a deer going back to what we were talking about before Michael taught me... And just for yes, everyone who doesn't know, because I had never heard of Michael Lang. Yeah. Michael Lang is one of the founders of Woodstock, who Mary and her husband moved up to Woodstock or purchased a small home up in Woodstock mm-hmm. years ago. And she called me and said, oh, I've met the most amazing person. I'm, I'm in Woodstock, New York. And I had so many questions about that just to start off with. I was like, <laughs> what are you doing in Woodstock, New York? And this was pre-COVID. And Mary said, and I've met this amazing man who founded Woodstock we could not be more different. Yeah. I don't know if you can even just tell from looking at us right now in yeah. our outfits. We're really the most different friends that you could ever have. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what's going Why are you hanging out with the music organizer from Woodstock? And they became such close friends. I mean, it was really such a sweet relationship. He was such an amazing man. So I know you wrote a chapter about him. Will you yeah, dive into this again? Yeah, he was a powerful, powerful influence because he came into my life as my career was starting off. And this was a man who led a national zeitgeist. Like he was, you know, uh, um, but he taught me throughout the story. Like he taught me humility. He taught me grace. He taught me, you know, what do you do with success? Um, You don't hoard it, you share it. Mm -hmm. He was always up for connecting and helping in a very similar way that you did. Um, He was a great teacher to me. And one of the things that I didn't realize till after he passed was, he got knocked down many times. You know, Woodstock was, um, yes, in 1969, it was lauded as this. But the day after that, people were attacking it. He, 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 you know, pulled off two other concerts, always not without controversy. He was mm-hmm. always, it was that like the nail that sticks out the furthest always gets hit the first. Um, and that was always him. He was the face of Woodstock. Mm-hmm. But he took it with such, because there was purity in him Mm -hmm. and no one could knock you down and no one could defame you and no one could hurt you if you really truly are doing the right thing and you're you're walking the walk and you're talking the talk and you're living your true self you're living your life with confidence and when you take when you have the confidence to step out and change the world as he did Mm -hmm. or dream without boundaries as other people do unfortunately unlocks a lot of 
attack from people and yeah. it um well, it unlocks insecurity insecurities in, in them yeah. and and their frustration to not you know have the confidence to take that step or so um and not to look at it in a way that you are better off that you did it's just try to keep shining that light so that maybe something in locks unlocks in that negative that will turn that on for someone else. Like I start the book, I dedicate it to, of course, my family, but then I say to you, and I, I believe dreams do not have expiration dates. Yeah. I really don't. And I think that we are our worst enemies in getting things done. Yeah. I certainly was my own worst enemy until I just said, well, with your, you know, you have been my therapist. I owe you like a lot of money, <laughs> a lot of money. <laughs> well, I just, I will say there's, they're not just some people. I think in life, it's amazing when you look at someone, and I say this all the time, it's like, if if you could see what I see in you, and I see this, I always felt, I've always felt like this with you. Like you have such kindness and you're such an empathetic person, but you're also such a dreamer and your dreams are so fun and exciting and pure and, and they really involve everyone. And that's what makes you so amazing. So to see you doubting yourself for me is always such an interesting thing because I'm like, how can you... How can you doubt a rainbow? <laughs> <laughs> I love you. How can you doubt a rainbow? That's a good one. That's a good one. I do mean that. And I, you know, I really do think that that's why so many times I've had conversations with people who you know and I don't know. And they tell me that, oh, do you know Lydia? I think you know Mary Giuliani. And I, I'm sort of like, yeah, no, I'm familiar with her. And then I get into a battle <laughs> about who's better friends. And I eventually always have to drop the, well, she was a bridesmaid in my wedding. Um, just to make <laughs> sure you understand like where she is in my friend group. But I do really think that that's how people feel about you. They really do love you and they see that in you. And that's why people are attracted to you. And that's why I, that's why I love the title of this so much because we've spent our whole relationship where I'm like, you don't need 6,000 friends. Right. You just need the ones who you want to be with. It's not about being with the everyone. quality, not the quantity. Yeah, and that's that's really when it goes back to what you talk about so much in this book about letting go of trying to please everyone. Yeah. You know, just because everybody wants to have dinner with you or just because everybody wants you to do something does not mean that you have to do it. Right. It's like, what do you want to do? Right. And that, I think, is really the part and the most important part. I think even as women, we're often taught that these are things we should do and the question is not what you should do. What do you want what to do? What do you do? want to do? And what do you want to do with your life? It was, I, I started by saying, like, I went on this retreat once in a very, very dark time of my life. I was infertility and and, the, and how I chose to um, cope with my infertility was unhealthy uh, drinking. I mean, I'm being honest. It yeah. was just not not good. And I, I went away to Karpalu, which is like this retreat. And the first question that she asked us was, what do you love? What do you, where are you, where, what, what is it that you do that you lose track of time that you, and I really felt like, I, I think I was about 33 at this time. It was the first time anyone ever asked me that in, mm. in the sense of, and do it. Yeah. It was like what, who, what you should love, who you should love, yeah. how you should love. And so for me now at almost 48 years old. Um, I asked myself, do I love this? Do I love this person? Do I love this experience? Do I love how I feel when I'm in this? Mm -hmm. And if the answer is yes, then joyfully do I enter that. If it's not, you know, then... Then it becomes then, a chapter. Then it becomes a chapter. In her third book. <laughs> lose friends and influence no one. I love um, you. So I have another question okay. that Joe is holding up to okay. me. Um, in your chapter, Swimming with the Nuns... Yes. Sorry, I'm reading this right now. Yeah. In your chapter, Swimming with the Nuns, you talk a lot about your faith. 
Yes. And your relationship with the Catholic faith. Yes. And your parents' relationship. Yes. Over the course of your life, how do you think that sustained you? Oh. And what do you do to keep religion alive in your family? Okay. Well, I am a I am a religion freak. I, I am a practicing Catholic, but I also spent time wanting to be Jewish. I went to Hebrew school electively. I'm not even joking. I've always <laughs> been really drawn to, to Judaism and, and spirituality. I've, I practice some versions of Zen Buddhism, which is, I know not. So I... But I, the number one reason I practice my religion is that I am never alone. I feel I'm never alone and I always have something higher than myself to answer to. Yeah. And um, that's really what it is. Um, but that religion comes to me in so many different forms. It's not just because I go to church on Sundays, just because I need a place to just put it all. Yeah. I'm not listening a lot, really. <laughs> I'm just there to express gratitude. And it's a place I could express gratitude in a yoga class. I could express gratitude in a church. I could express gratitude when I'm going to my kids, my friend's kids bar and bat mitzvahs. Um, <laughs> so many different places. So many different places. Um, but I just, I just, I love the idea of the unknown. I also love the idea of, uh, of faith and faith could be in anything. Um, yeah. But I, I like, I like talking to God. It, it started with, are you there? God, it's me, Margaret, which I'm reading right now. You are. My daughter. I love it. Although it's a little, I got to, I think I, we got to shelf it. She's a little too young, but, um, <laughs> but um, so I, I just, I like to know. And in the really, really rock bottom times, and I have hit some rock bottom times, even though it all looks really shiny. Um, those conversations, I look up and whoever I'm talking to, um, and that spirituality has also translated to friends I've lost. Uh, my friend Lee Bloomer, Michael, grandparents, mm. I talk to them, I, I feel them. Um, I'm just open. I'm open to the energies of faith you and are. love. In fact, I'm believing in something that we, we don't know if it's there or not, but yeah. that's okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I think whatever makes you feel comfort and makes yeah. you feel like you're sort of secure in who you are and where you are in the course of your life. And if that means reaching outside of yourself for guidance, I think you do that. The other thing that you talk about in the book is this amazing thing that you did with your first book about going to visit strangers who purchased your book. Oh my gosh. Can you tell us a little bit about so, that? After the cocktail party, my first book ended up on the 50% off bin at Home Goods. Yeah, we've all been there. <laughs> okay. We've all been there. I realized with this next book, Tiny Hot Dogs, I needed to take things into my own hands. Um, it's it's so I went on Instagram and I was like, if you buy 10 copies, I'll come to your book I'll come to your book club with martinis and hot dogs. I thought no one more than my mother was gonna do this. I was so grateful that a lot of people did it. And I didn't know what I was signing up for. My business partner, Michelle, and my husband were like, what are you doing? And I'm like, like, 10 books is not so I'm much just enough. going. And I was driving to places in Pennsylvania and up, up in Massachusetts. And I went to Florida and I went to, and I literally showed up by myself with bottles of vodka and some hot dogs. Um, always smelled like hot dogs for the car rides because I would cook them. <laughs> and then I would come in smelling like a pig in a blanket. <laughs> but, um, and just walking into these homes, being welcomed by these amazing groups of women that at first it could have been like weird. And it starts like surfacy where it's like, is Bradley Cooper tall in real life? Um, <laughs> and then it it got into like us sitting on the floor and we're around a table and talking about all the things women want to talk about with each other. Yeah. And I loved it. I cried with strangers. I, I laughed with them. And advice that was given to me when I went to Kripalu for the first time was, let your guard down. You will never get more honest advice than from a stranger. Um, and be open advice. to what that is. And yeah. I had done this. So basically it was my new dopamine, like walking into people's houses and just talking to them and connecting with them. And and then COVID hit. 
And it was like crickets, as we all know. And I missed that connection so, so very much. So um, I write about like how beautiful that connection was. And like, it's a straight you know, page out of Forrest Gump's book. Like he showed up with a box of chocolates on a, on a bench, a park bench and told a bunch of strangers his whole life story. Yeah. Um, so I'm very excited. I'm doing it again. Um, met fabulous pal at the Southern Summit. Yes. Um, Shout I'm going out to, to Whitney and Sheree for an amazing, people. amazing oh, Sheree, community. Talk about building women. Yeah. Um, I'm going to Lexington, Kentucky. I'm going to, um, I'm so excited. I'm going to Atlanta, Georgia. I'm going to Cincinnati for the first time. Um, and I'm just going to show up and, uh, and, and do it again. Will you make the hot dogs before you go? You'll do that when you get I there. They're going to have to bring. Thing. Maybe they just I think I need something that's like not, you know, freeze it. Uh, yeah. I think I need a, or maybe can I bring a cake? <laughs> <laughs> so we have another question. Joe's okay. holding up a sign. Um, what do you want someone who's reading your third book to take away from this book? Um, I'll, I'll state it again because I really do believe in it. Like I could do it. You can do it. If I could get through the things I've gotten through, you can get through the things I've gotten through. I have had times in my life where I asked one time I asked my husband, like, can I die from crying? Turns out you can't. Yeah. Um, turns out that you need support of very good people, good friends like Lydia. And, 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 um, I want people to stop getting in their own way. You want to write that book? Write that book. You want to, you know, pursue a singing career? Take a singing class. S- somebody somewhere, it's a new Bridget Everett, Mur- um, Murray Hill television show on HBO Max right now. Everyone's got to watch this because she just goes back to singing, which was her passion that she shelved for years. Mm-hmm. And then you see her take this singing class and just tears and you're spilled. Do the things that you want to do because as we learned, life is short and life we don't sure, yeah. get another chance. And listen, I'm practical. I have to still make a living. I have to pay the bills. I have to, I'm not saying like everybody should indulge every whim they have, but give your, even if it's just like on a Saturday to like write or sing or paint something or, you know, start a lemonade stand for like your bracelets you want to sell. Like it's all within you, like, you know, and, and so I want them to realize, and, and especially as age and as an aging woman, there's no expiration date to this. No. There's no expiration. Look at Martha. I just, 81. I literally, when the Mary cover came Sports in Illustrated. Here, two things. I saw Diana Ross sing at Ugh. the Breast Cancer Research Foundation. She's magnificent. On stage in a red sequin dress, hair out in every direction, 79 years old, which she said, I think, 13 times when she was on stage. She kept saying it. And I said to Mary when I came in, you know, as someone who's on stage and I'm a woman in my 40s, and I often think, like, is there an expiration date of being on stage? And apparently I have been completely Martha looking at the wrong told way. Us no. <laughs> but also Diana Ross just watching yeah. her own that stage and just such confidence, confidence and beauty in who she is. And then I wake up and Martha Stewart, and you know my love yeah. of Martha. Oh. I know Martha. She is the <laughs> she most amazing woman. 81 years old, on the cover of Sports Illustrated, looking so great, but more importantly, owning it. Really not, there's nothing about her that's like, I'm 81, I shouldn't be here. It's like, I'm 81, look at me. And God bless her, because if that isn't what we need to see as women, I mean, Betty Davis, think about the women who are are, um, from the Golden Girls. Oh, Rue McClanahan. But no, no, the other one who just (laughs) passed Betty White. Betty White, 100 years old. You know what the key to her her health, her longevity, she said? No. 
hot dogs and vodka. Stop it. Mm-hmm. Greatest right. quote ever. I've ever. A million people sent it to me. I was like, oh, That's I'm going to live forever. <laughs> well, good. I plan to, too. So you better not go anywhere, as you know. Um, all right. So 100 years old. I guess I'll have to start drinking vodka and eating yes. hot dogs. Um, <laughs> I'll put on a pair of high heels if you do that. <laughs> it's a deal. It's a deal. I'd like to thank everyone who's been calling yeah, thank in. thank you. And we just like hanging out thank in you, this Joe. amazing uh, podcast studio in Rock Center. Always stop by. We'll give you guys more notice next time. But I just had to have Mary on because her book launched yesterday. For everyone who is feeling like they need some funny, amazing stories, but also stories about life and getting through life and doing it with humor and doing it with kindness, which is what you always do, pick up this book, How to Lose Friends and Influence No One. More importantly, gift this book to everyone you know. Oh, I like that idea. Because it's just such a fun book. Can and I tell you why, too, to support this yes, book? Yes, absolutely. Okay. I'm going to put um, it right here so everyone can I it. chose with this book to publish in a non-traditional way. Yes, tell everyone. I am publishing this book through the Golden Notebook Bookstore, Golden Notebook Press, which is out of Woodstock, New York, which was my local independent bookstore in Woodstock, New York, the Golden Notebook. James Conrad, Jackie Kelchen, you have to... It, I walked into that bookstore 20 years ago and I was like, there is something special about this place. Little did I know that someday they would assist me in publishing this book. So um, this success of this book is I'm even more invested in it because like my success is their success. And um, so thank you, Golden Opa Press. I am thrilled about that. There you go. All right. Thank you for everyone who listened in to Claim Your Confidence. Thank you to Joe and Newsstand Studios for hosting us in this amazing studio. Thank you for being a best friend. Oh, thank you for being a best friend. And thank you for always supporting me. Always. I feel like we should have to sing the, thank you for being a friend. That's the Golden Girls. Great. Yeah, thanks. Thank you for doing that. And I'm approaching that age. By the way, they were like 48 years old, FYI. 55. Yeah, I know. 55. So I still have 20 years, but Mary's rapidly approaching that age. All right, you guys. Thanks a lot. Have a wonderful Wednesday. I will be back next week with another episode of Claim Your Confidence. But in the meantime, enjoy the rest of this week and get out there and do something that makes you uncomfortable. Claim that confidence. Bye, guys. 